there, we are Rob and Joanna Teigen. Welcome back to the Growing Home Together podcast. We've been married for over 30 years and we've parented our five kids through all the ages and stages. We're excited to share our passion for caring for the soul of your family with you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey friends, thank you so much for joining us for the Growing Home Together podcast. You know, in all these years of parenting our five kids, there have been plenty of times that our kids have struggled to know what is true or false about who they are, what is the most important, and where God is when life gets hard or complicated. You know, they've had to wrestle with some pretty destructive belief systems that challenge their worth and their purpose. Right. And I'd say the most challenging part of growing up is taking hold of the truth of the Bible. And as parents, one of the greatest hopes and goals is to communicate the reality of God in a way that my kids can hear and understand. I know that you and I both want our kids to discover the incredible gift of salvation in Jesus and to let God transform the way they think and live. Right, and that is why we are so grateful to welcome Aaron and Jason Davies to the show today. They have created a book, especially for boys, that is a creative and powerful resource for any family's toolbox. Their book, Lies Boys Believe and the Epic Quest for Truth, is a fun and creative way for boys to discover the truth of the gospel. And they'll be even more ready to battle the lies that stand between them and faith in God. Thank you so much, Aaron and Jason, for joining us today. We're delighted to be here with you and really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. And before we jump in, can you just share a little bit about your own family and what motivated you to write Lies Boys Believe? Well, we live on a small farm in central Missouri, uh, Aaron and I and our four sons, Eli, Noble, Judah, and Ezra. It's important for us that our children grow up and have a faith that's their own. And we recognize that as they're developing and growing, there's going to be these lies that they encounter. Uh, Unfortunately, we couldn't cover all the lies that a young man growing up could potentially encounter as they're growing in their faith. But uh, we, we tackled the big ones that we felt like were the right ones to to begin the conversation and, and help parents help their children, you know. And you heard that list of names of our family and you heard I'm way outnumbered. I'm the only girl. Um, and it's not that boys are the only ones believing lies. There's a deceiver who goes after all of us, but we've seen our boys um, face come against lies like all of us do. And there just be a shortage of resources out there to equip them to walk in the truth. And so we're not experts. We're just parents of a bunch of boys, but we did, we do know that God's word holds everything they need for life and godliness. And so we wanted to point our own sons and then other sons to God's word. Also work with uh, Nancy DeMoss Wagamuth, who's the founder of Reviver Hearts and Dana Gresh. And also we work with Robert Wagamuth and they've all written uh, books in what we call the, the lies series of books. And um, they, they were talking to us some time ago and said, you know, if, if a uh, lies boys believe were to happen, it would make sense that you all be the ones to make it happen. That's really fantastic. And, and being on the receiving end of the book, they were 
spot on with that. <laughs> um, you know, it sounds from what we know of your family and your ministry that you kind of have your finger on the pulse of the challenges that boys go through. Um, when you think about your sons and other kids in their age and stage, um, what has you the most concerned or the most excited? Well, I mean, part of the challenge is that we want to paint all kinds of groups with this really broad brush. And so we won't say all boys this or no boys that. All, all four of our boys are very, very different. But I can speak to what concerns me most as their mama, which is, and this is going to sound bold, but I think it's true. I feel like manhood is under attack. It's often uh, given the word toxic right now. Uh, and are there toxic men? Of course, there are. There's toxic women too. But um, we just don't want our boys to grow up thinking, that being male, being men, being masculine, being strong um, is a bad thing. And I do think they're receiving that message all over the place. And for every deceptive narrative, there's a counter narrative in God's word. And so we, we don't have to wring our hands or be worried or pace the floors. Uh, when we see those messages trickling in, we know where to go for the source and where to point our sons. But I, I'd say that's probably the lie or the area of deception that concerns me most. What do you think, Jay? Well, absolutely. But on on the encouraging note that you asked about, uh, as you look back through history, most of the modern revivals that have happened have started in the hearts of youth, mm. uh, young men, young women. And I think that we have a very exciting opportunity to raise up a generation of young men who love and serve the Lord, who will be a catalyst for a, a a global change and a drawing of the world's hearts back to the Lord. That's great. And I think that's a good reminder for us as, as parents or grandparents or whoever's listening, because sometimes it can get um, discouraging. You know, we can start thinking that things are tipping uh, further on the side of, of the culture. And like you said, some of the messages are, that are coming. And so it's a good reminder that, um, God continues to to raise up um, young men, and this book will be a great help in that. And I love how right out the gate in the book, um, in the story that you tell, um, you tackle kids' fears of uh, resisting to or fear of reading the Bible. So what are some ways we can help our kids get excited about God's Word? I, I believe that of all of the stories we read and here, and however those stories are passed along, um, the stories in the Bible can be among the most exciting. You can line up the stories in the Bible with the, you know, the box office action hits um, that are out at any given time, and and it's on par and more exciting because it's driven by a, um, a power that's even greater than just succeeding and overcoming whatever the the person in the movie's fighting against. And so I would start by just communicating to our young men and helping them grasp and appreciate the overall story of scripture is not a boring one. Um, reading, yes, can be boring, of course. Uh, there, there's a lot of ways for young men to absorb the Bible and uh, listening and and things like that are certainly um, tools that can be used. But as far as the story goes, there, there's not a blockbuster out there that's more exciting than the things that happen in the Bible. Yeah, I think a lot of families can get tripped up when they think of 
their kids and Bible time being this calendar event where everybody sits quietly and listens to dad or mom uh, exegete the minor prophets. And we've never had a moment like that at the Davis house. Uh, our boys are boys. They are all boy. And if we said, okay, everybody's going to sit in a circle now and we're going to read the Bible, uh, they would find that very dull. But Deuteronomy gives us this principle of parenting, which is that we talk about it we're on the when we're on the road and and we put it on the doorposts of our homes and we talk about it as we go. And so uh, it always starts with us, parents. We can't ever teach what we don't live. And so out of our own love for God's word, it's an ongoing conversation. And um, it, we do have it everywhere in our home. That's intentional. But we also will take opportunities just in real time. Um, our All of our boys know, do your best to live at peace. That comes from the book of Romans, because we'll use that when they're not doing their best to live at peace. Or we'll ask them, what is a man without self-control? And they know to say back to us, a city without walls. That comes from the book of Proverbs. And so it's just an ongoing conversation, not just an event on our family calendar. Of course, we read to the, to the boys at night before bed and things like that. But uh, the, the ongoing conversation, I think, has a, a really powerful impact. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great reminder. Um, you know, before I got my hands on your book, I was brainstorming in my own mind about the lies that our kids have struggled with before or mm -hmm. might have to struggle with while they're still growing. And I was thinking about the times that like, they fell into negative thinking or when they were insecure in their relationships or the times that they felt like God was far away. And really the list of lies that you could talk about could probably fill a whole shelf of books. Um, but I know that you carefully crafted the list of the lies that you wanted to focus on in this title. So can you tell us how you chose the 10 core lies to cover in your book? Well, as Jason mentioned, we stand on the shoulders of some really good thinkers and writers um, who have written lies women believe, lies men believe, lies young women believe, lies girls believe. So. But we had a good pond to fish from, and a lot of these you'll see connections from. But we also have this live-in focus group, and um, we, as their parents, can sometimes see the deception clearer than they can. That's the nature of lies. You don't come to a lie and go, this is a lie, but I'm going to believe it anyway. It's got to be tricky, but we can sometimes have insight to that. So we just try to walk through a progression. I think a lot of these lies are connected to each other. For example, if you think reading the Bible just isn't for you, you might also find following Jesus to be boring. Those are connected. Uh, but I think we just watched and prayed and and thought about what we see in our own. And a sons. lot of like, okay, this this happened with our this son. Right. What what lie does that um relate to and, and how do we articulate that well and and try and really narrowing it down yeah. um, to some specific ones we were able to tackle in a concise format was the ticket yeah yeah well what i'm hearing is that in your own home you've kind of created a framework to kind of interpret our kids behavior through if we took the things that come at us with our kids and ask that question of what what lies may be driving this? That's a really neat um, shift to maybe make in our mindset. So thank you. Yeah, and the, the title is called Lies Boys Believe, but it's really a book about God's truth. And so the question under the question, you can't probably identify lies unless you know the truth. Um, and so when you know the truth, when you're grounded in the truth, when your son knows the truth and he says something like, nobody loves me, that, 
that feels really true in the moment, but we know the truth, which is that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, um, that God calls his own love an everlasting love. So you do have to know the truth and they have to be trained in the truth to be able to begin to decipher lies for themselves. Yeah, that's good. Um, what I really love and respect about uh, your work is that you guys are really in the business of equipping kids um, or trying to equip kids to recognize both truth and lies for themselves. So what tools do you think boys need to battle um, a lie before it really takes hold uh, in their life? Well, first, they really need to have a foundation of truth. And that comes from scripture. It comes from sitting under biblical teaching and things like that. And so once they have a foundation of truth, it becomes easier not easy, but easier to recognize those lies in their own lives. And then another part to the puzzle is somebody who's somebody who's trusted and can speak into those lies. Um, so being able to do that requires building trust with our children long before the lie occurs. And I, I'm sure that there are going to be people listening to this podcast and they're listening to Jason and I, who are committed to each other and both followers of Jesus and in ministry and seeking to raise our kids in the truth. And they're going to think my family doesn't look like that. My husband isn't in the home or my husband isn't a follower of Jesus. So he's kind of undoing what I'm trying to do, or my wife isn't around, or, you know, there are any number of factors that can make this feel impossible, but it's not impossible. Um, that's part of what the family of God does. We fill in the gaps for each other. And um, when your kids come to Christ, then the spirit lives within them. And he, his job is to teach them God's truth and remind them of God's truth. So God really does the heavy lifting, but we do, we don't want to be passive. We do take a role in equipping. Sure. You know, you've got me thinking about our son who just celebrated a birthday a few weeks ago. And I'm guessing that he's kind of typical in his birthday wishes because, you know, he's hoping he'd get some new tech or maybe a video game as a gift. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> so as a mom, I thought it was pretty great that in your story, you unpack the lie. It doesn't matter what I watch, read or listen to. And I think every family that we know is wrestling with that lie in their house, right? Because our kids are on screens yeah. just more and more and younger and younger. So could you tell us a little bit about how our kids can meet that particular lie with the truth of God? Yeah, I mean, our kids love to throw uh, at us, I'm the only one who. So I'm the only one who has a bedtime or I'm the only one who doesn't have a cell phone in the seventh grade or I'm the only one that's not allowed to watch that. And my standard line is others may, but you may not. I'm not their mama, but the struggle is very, very real. Um, whereas even when we were growing up, you could make decisions for your own family uh, and boundaries for what came into your home. But now there's just screens everywhere. A lot of times there's schools on screens and the access is so much greater. It really is a challenge, but I don't think it should make us um, be fearful. The, none of it surprises the Lord. And so I think we are always going for the heart, you know, like, can you watch this show and still be a follower of Jesus? Of course you can. And your salvation is grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But um, Paul gave us some really good language, which is that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So it's kind of an ongoing conversation. There's a time for sheltering. We don't make the same choices for our son, Ezra, who's in preschool, and our son, Eli, who's in high school. Um, but I think we really work hard to help our sons know how to think instead of just giving them these lists of rules of do's and don'ts, because before we know it in a blink, 
um, they're going to be making those choices for themselves. And we've had, we've had some heartbreak, frankly, we've had some times when our sons were exposed to things that we, we didn't want them exposed to on somebody else's device. And then, um, then we just have to face it head on and have hard conversations and equip them. And uh, that's an ongoing thing. So I, I would encourage parents that rather than come up with these hard rules of do's and don'ts, which there's a place for that we need to be always talking about what are the dangers and what happens when you click on something that you didn't tend to click on and why does it matter? Um, those images can be seared on your brain for a long time. And so I just feel like None of it's a one and done. All of it's discipleship. Would you add anything, Jay? Yeah. And just to reiterate what you were saying there, we talk a lot more about the why than yeah. we talk about the what. Uh, the what is important, but the why has to inform the what or it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Jason said something once that gave me such insight into the male brain, which he said, he said, I don't like being told what to do. But I don't, when I understand the why, then I'm willing to go along with it. And that's been so true for our sons. If I just say, no, you're not watching that, turn it off. Um, that doesn't rise in them a willingness to obey or to try and understand. But if I say, buddy, you know, I super care about your heart and your mind. And there's some things I just don't think you're ready for, or that I just don't want you to let into your heart and mind, because once they're in, they're hard to get out. There's there's at least a willingness to try to obey and to understand at that point. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm also curious if there's a specific lie in the book um, that is especially significant to you and your family and maybe how um, you kind of combated that with the truth or, or how the truth um, changed that or focused on that. I think all of them have played a significant role. Maybe one that stands out to me is following Jesus is boring Mm. because of the of the issues you mentioned a little bit ago, Aaron. Oh, I'm the only one of my friends who doesn't get to X, Y, or Z. And uh, and sometimes that's true. Usually that's a, another lie. Yeah. Um, but even when that's true, or especially when that's true, a young man, a preteen can feel like, or even a teenager can feel like, uh, well, you know, following Jesus is boring, but it's important to replace that lie with the truth of the matter that following Jesus is the, the absolute opposite of boring, but he does set some parameters for our own protection. And in the long run, being protected in those ways produces a, a an environment for your life that is uh, even more exciting than um, the short-term pleasure or whatever it was that you had to deny yourself. Yeah, I'm kind of on the edge of my seat to see what our boys do and become, uh, because I know following Jesus is a great adventure. I think of a couple that are probably just special to me because of who our boys are, and they're going to sound like they're contrary. But one is um, I'm good enough. And the other is God's always mad at me. And I'm thinking of two of our boys in particular who are very different from each other. One of them is just like, he, he's a rule follower. Um, he, he gets the good grades at school. He almost never rocks the boat. And for him, this idea of the gospel and being a sinner in need of a savior can feel sort of strange because 
he's a good boy. Why, why does he need that? And then we have another boy who's, who's not a bad boy by any stretch of the imagination, but he's way more likely to push up against the limits, um, way more likely to not just agree with us because we're his parents and we told him to do it. And so he can start to feel squashed under that because he's in trouble more. Um, and, and so he might feel like, ah, oh, God's always mad at me because I'm always messing up. And so I think those are precious to me because, because of my sons, but also, you know, all of our kids are different and their understanding of why they might need Jesus might come in a lot of different forms. And it excites me to think about all the different kinds of boys around the world that would see themselves in this story and maybe recognize for the first time that Jesus is for them and that they need him. And um, if, if the Lord would see fit to welcome some boys into his kingdom, um, through this work, that would be just the greatest honor of my life. So those, those lies are special to me because of what I think God can do with them. Yeah, that's good. I, yeah, our kids, uh, definitely keep us on our toes and on our knees because they're yeah. all so different. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're right. You can't approach, um, each one the same. You have to, um, really, uh, be a good steward and a, and a good studier of your kids and their hearts. So, um, your book is amazing, just an amazing tool to get into our son's life, uh, right now where he's at, he's, um, you know, as we read through it, he's interacted and, and struggled with a lot of the things or wrestled through a lot of the questions, um, that you bring up. Um, so, um, he's growing really fast. So do you have any suggestions for how we can keep encouraging him toward the truth of, of God's word um, as he gets older? I find that the best way I can encourage my sons in that way is by being open to conversation when they're ready to have the conversation. And, And it's rarely when it's convenient for me. (laughs) <laughs> but to be to make myself present and available when the, those conversations happen on their time schedule. And when we have those kind of, it's usually about a topic or, or a situation that's come up. And then when we're having those conversations, when we're, when we're having those talks, uh, it's not, okay, well, let's, uh, Let's open up our Bibles to the book of whatever. It's um, more of a back and forth where I encourage them to answer their own question with Scripture because of the foundation that they have and, and, and push them in that direction, but in their time frame. This is something I wrote about in the parents' guide, not in the boys' book, but it's a passion uh, of mine, which is that somewhere along the line, I think Christian families got the idea that the best way to put the gospel on display is by being perfect, um, by being perfect parents, p- perfect husbands and wives, which is silly when we think about it, because what's more anti-gospel than the fact that what, what do we need a savior for? We're doing this perfectly. And so I find that is when I make mistakes, when I sin, which is often um, that there are great opportunities for me to walk in truth in front of my sons. I'll often say, um, this is why we need Jesus so much because on my own, um, I'm selfish and I'm prone to fits of anger. And I will say things to hurt you, to get you to do, uh, what I want you to do. And you'll do the same to me. And this is why we need a savior. And so I think one way that can feel a little counterintuitive is, are you creating family environments where your kids can struggle? Are you creating family environments where your kids can ask hard 
questions without you reacting in some way? Are you creating family environments where they can even wrestle with their faith? Because it's been my experience that they do, that their faith has to become their own at some point. And that's rarely just, you know, getting off the exit ramp of their parents' faith and then smoothly getting on the on-ramp of their own faith. There's a wrestling that happens. And um, so I, I had a woman in my Bible study say something to me a couple of weeks ago that stuck with me. She said, you've created a really cool environment here where people can disagree with you. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't have all the answers. Of course, people can disagree with me, but I hope my sons would say the same that they could come to me and say, you know, the Trinity doesn't make sense to me, or, um, I don't believe that God can or should forgive people that do X, Y, Z, or I have a friend, they, they have a guy in their youth group that's facing a really difficult cancer battle. And they should look at that and go, that doesn't make any sense, God, this kid's in high school. He loves you. He's got so much life in front of him and, um, he's fighting cancer. And so part of it is just, um, you know, not polishing everything, not sugarcoating everything, because as we're walking in the truth, it's probably three steps forward, two steps back, uh, a couple steps to the side, a couple steps back. It's just rarely very linear. And, um, so I think being a family where your kids can ask questions, and wrestle and fail and be reminded of the gospel and you do the same. And you can't really program that. Um, There's not like a list of how you do that, but I think there's an open handedness that can really help. Yeah. That's a good reminder. And, you know, it seems like maybe a thread running through what you're saying is that we need to create space to talk and have those conversations you were talking about and to, um, take time to pause and really look at where are we at in this moment, um, with the Lord or with our own, um, struggles or choices. And so that takes time. And I feel like that time is such a battleground for families because most of us or all of us are pulled in a lot of directions. So can you suggest just some simple and effective ways that, uh, we can just push pause and engage with each other and with God's word as a family? Uh, I mean, I always joke that as soon as I get my kids figured out, they're on to the next stage. And whenever I, when they were babies, I was like, oh, I just figured out how to get them to sleep. And then they started teething. And so um, it takes a real adaptability and what works for us in this season might not have worked for us in a different season um, or might not work for somebody who's listening in their current season. But that's another thing I think Jason and I are actually uniquely pretty good at. We're we're high creatives. Uh, we don't actually do great with a lot of structure. And so we're, we're willing to change the game a lot. And for other families that might be stressful, but we, we use the time that God's given us. I mean, we make ourselves highly available to our kids, but we feel that stretch you were talking about for sure. Uh, we found the dining room table to be a really important place for those connections, uh, we're probably eating dinner at the table as a family three nights a week right now. We wish it was more, but man, we have to fight for even those three nights. And probably um, one other night on the couch. Yeah, and probably one <laughs> other night of eating pizza on the couch for sure. But um, we use lots of different things. We use something called the Ungame, which is this fun little box that you can get on Amazon um, that draws kids out with different engaging questions. So that's just about connecting and availability. I find that our car time... Uh, 
several of our sons decided to give their lives to Jesus from the backseat of our minivan. I don't know what it was about that, but that's just an opportunity to engage. We use something called Songs for Saplings, which is just a straight scripture set to music. And we'll play that a lot of times in the morning when we're getting ready or in the car. And so it really is that Deuteronomy model of using the time you have, but also not being totally willy nilly. I mean, church is a non-negotiable for us. And youth group is a non-negotiable for us. And as our kids have gotten older, that's become a struggle because sports schedules would love to take those moments. And so we've had to have conversations of like, when the choices between worshiping with God's people and sports, we're always going to choose worshiping with God's people. And that's probably going to cost playing time. And here's why we make that decision. So um, we do have some like, you know, lines in the sand, like we go to church together as a family, we gather at the dining room table as often as possible. Um, I do something called mornings with mom. I know I'm throwing a lot of ideas here. So just capture what works for you. But these are I do something called mornings with mom. So every Thursday morning on a rotating basis, one of the boys and I get up early and we go to a coffee house and um, we usually take a board game with us and just chat. But it's just that other touchstone and they, they love it when it's their week and they feel bummed when it's not their week. So that's been a really good rhythm. And Jason has similar rhythms. I mean, he's really good about taking the boys fishing and out in the woods. And uh, we separate our, we can sometimes want to separate our lives into spiritual and non-spiritual, but it's all God's. It's all his time. It's all his world. And you can definitely use those moments. I don't know if you want to add anything, Jay. I think you covered it. And, and it's and like you said, to um, connect the spiritual and non-spiritual because it all belongs to the Lord. Yeah. Bedtime is also really precious. Uh, we have two big boys and two little boys. We call them the bigs and the littles. The bigs are in one bedroom. The littles are in the other. And so we have kind of a long bedtime routine because we use those moments. So I'm always reading them a great book. Um, it isn't always a Christian book, but it's always what I consider to be a great book. And then always reading them scripture with the littles, I'm reading through a children's Bible right now with the bigs. I'm reading through the book of James. And so um, that's just another routine. And does, does that time get snatched away from us more than we'd like? Absolutely, it does. But I would say more often than not, we can default to those kind of regular moments at the end of the day. And singing the doxology together yep. at night is really special. Yeah, that's how we put our babies to bed. Have They're not babies anymore, but they're always my babies. Since they were little, we sing the doxology together as a family uh, at bedtime. Wow, that's that's some uh, great practical uh, ideas and advice there on things we can do to to connect. And I think you're right. The, uh, the Deuteronomy passage that you, uh, Deuteronomy 6, that you mentioned earlier, you know, um, is is right on with that that god intends us to just um as we walk and as we get up in the morning and it's not it's not uh, separating um the two so i love that you know and i think in addition to um our schedules and our busyness that can um take away some of our focus i think another challenge that we can have as parents and is just not feeling like we have what it takes um to share God's truth with our kids. So can you speak into the lie uh, that some of us parents can believe um, or give us some more confidence in how we might be able to disciple our, our boys? I think a lot of that goes back to what Aaron was saying earlier that really can be summed up by, uh, for the most part, summed up by the word authenticity. There, there's this idea, like she said, that if we're proclaiming ourselves to be Christians, then we have to be perfect. And 
uh, a natural inclination to when we mess up to conceal that and hide it so that we don't um, ruin our witness. But our witness with our children, our children see us at our best times and our worst times, uh, whether we want them to or not. So to be transparent um, and authentic with them, I, I think makes a real difference and, um, and, and it matters to them. I, I've talked to a lot of folks who have walked away from the faith um, post high school, uh, you know, grew up in a, in a Christian home or whatever, and then walked away from their faith uh, later in life. And a lot of times what I hear is they do that because they felt like their parents were one person at church and a different person at home. And um, they, they can't reconcile the fact that uh, genuine Christianity is, is faking it on Sunday mornings. Mm. And I, I think if we, and the bottom line is we're, we're not going to be perfect. And so to try to hide that and not admit it to our children does them a real disservice in the long run. Yeah. And I, I'd add to that play a long game. You know, something I'll say to my boys a lot is the jury hasn't even started deliberating on you, which is like, you're, you're in the middle of this growing up. There, there's no way to now determine you're, you're good at this or you're bad at this or whatever. There, there's, we're still in the middle of it. And parenting's the same way. There's a compounding that happens over years. And so you could be listening to this and saying like, my kid's eight and I've never had any of these conversations with him. Great. Start today. Or even my kid's 18. And I don't think he knows how to walk in the truth. That's okay. He's still breathing. His heart's still beating. There's still time for the Lord to work in his life. And it, it is the layers kind of that we paint on, on his life over years and years and years and years. And then our whole hope is ultimately in Jesus, you know, uh, where scripture says where sin abounds, grace superabounds. That's the Aaron Davis translation. But where we, we fail, uh, grace goes in and fills in the cracks. And it's really the Lord's job to change your son's heart. And you get to be a part of what God's doing. But the all of the responsibility is not in you. So I would just encourage us to look long. I think back in my own life, and I'm sure my parents made a lot of mistakes, but I don't remember most of them. But I do remember how much my mom prayed for me. I definitely remember the times um, that I was walking in deception and she loved me through that. And it, it kind of all comes out of the wash because God's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Um, you know, I had asked a few minutes ago about how to help our boys fend off lies before they, they really t- take root in their life. Uh, you know, what would you say to the parent who feels like um, you know, they've lost the battle or it's too late. How, how can we come alongside our sons in, in that situation? As a mom, my primary job is to pray and to never stop praying. And Jason can speak to the dads here in a minute, but it's very clear to me in scripture that the heart of God is attuned to the prayers of mothers. I think of Hannah and the way she just wailed for her son, Samuel, I think of Mary and the song she sang for her son. Uh, there's lots of mamas in scripture that cried out to the Lord and he heard them. And I take great comfort in knowing that nobody wants to see my sons walking in the truth more than Jesus does. And so to pray for that is to absolutely pray in alignment with the Lord's will. Now he's given my sons free will. They may not choose that path. Um, but I will never stop praying for my boys to walk in the truth. And that can feel like throwing cotton balls at a 
bonfire, but that's not what scripture tells us prayer is. Scripture tells us that prayer um, changes what happens in the lives of other people. And so I would say to that mama listening that feels like, oh, my son is too far gone, or maybe even I've been hearing this a lot. My young adult son has cut me out of his life. How could I have any influence where he won't even let me communicate with him anymore? Well, God's still listening and God's still working and you can always pray. What would you say, Jay? Well, I I would add on to that is the time to pray. It, pray is now. Yeah. If your if your son has cut you out of his life, pray. But start if, if that's not the case, start praying now daily, um, multiple times a day for your son, and, and don't put it off until there's a catastrophe or, or yeah. some terrible thing that happens. Pray, pray now. Yeah. I When you were saying that, I was thinking of the story of the prodigal son, which of course reveals the heart of the father. The heart of the father is that all of his children will return to him, but it also reveals what can happen. Your son may be eating pig slop right now, but at any second, his heart could turn and he could come running back to you and to the Lord. And so that's really a precious story to maybe encourage your heart. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, that's why, you know, at Growing Home Together, prayer is such a foundational part of the ministry since we started it, just because of, uh, we can often, um, we want to take control so bad, you know, whether, and, and when we are in situations that feel um, hard or hopeless, that's when we think we have to uh, jump in the hardest. And um, so sometimes it can feel like prayer is um, my my only defense, but um, prayer is the best thing we can do um, mm-hmm. in any of these situations, you know, um, before even we act on anything. And so it's not a, well, I guess all I can do is pray, but it's it's the power of prayer that uh, can, can make that situation go um, uh, I don't know, just God can meet us in that much more than us uh, running to take control of it. And and I would enlist others to pray with you. We had a situation very recently where our oldest son had a very scary surgery and I couldn't pray. I, I was so tired and worried and anxious, knowing full well that the Lord was good, but those are real. Those are real struggles. And so we're at the hospital and they're taking my boy back to do this really scary surgery that could have had some really horrible outcomes. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to hit my knees in that moment. And so I reached for those who could, I reached towards our pastor and friends to say like, please pray with us and for us. And they did. And I, I think of a mom I know whose daughter was living a very sinful lifestyle for a very long time. And she just got kind of prayed out. And she said to her friends, like, I don't, I can't pray about this anymore, but would you pray for her? And they did. And that daughter did end up turning her life around, but it took years. So it's not a magic, it's not a silver bullet that works on our timetable, but um, you know, God's people can be such a tremendous support when we need to pray for our kids. That's a good reminder for sure. Yeah. Well, earlier when Rob asked you, which of the lies in your book was kind of a standout to you and you were talking about the character Thomas, the good kid. <laughs> yeah. I have to say that, that that's part that really jumped out at Rob and I, because Rob and I were both the kids who tried to follow the rules and get good grades and get along with everybody and stay out of trouble. Uh, and then in the story, uh, just like we had to do, we we had to come face to face with the reality that even as a good kid, you know, you're still a sinner who needs Jesus. And, um, yeah. you know, I was hoping you could kind of speak into that because 
uh, we'd love to have some wisdom in how to address our kids' sins and failures in a way that doesn't create shame on them, but points them to God. Mm-hmm. Can you speak into that? Yeah, that uh, that lie, I'm good enough, is is one that even if we don't believe it, we try to convince ourselves that that's true, mm-hmm. right? And I believed that as a young man, I was pretty good boy, did what I was told, you know, didn't get into too much mischief. And then I encountered Jesus. And then I started believing another lie, lie number four in the book, God is always mad at me, because uh, even as a young man, I started to understand this concept of total depravity. Mm -hmm. And the fact that uh, I am apart from Jesus, completely and utterly lost. How, how could he not be mad at me because of what he had to do to obtain my salvation? So that, that's a, you know, that's a long process. But what I have told my boys before when they're struggling with, with something like that is I say, well, you're in good company. You're, you're not the only one who's ever failed in that way. You're not the only one who has struggled with that. Uh, you're, you know, you're in good company. And then uh, if possible... I try to point to a story of redemption in that conversation, whether it's uh, Paul or somebody else from Scripture or another story of of uh, of someone uh, in more recent history who um, struggled with something similar, and then the Lord used them in a mighty way. I think there's two things we can always remind ourselves of as parents which is that Jesus is the standard and the Holy Spirit is the convictor of sin. You really, we really can't change our kids' hearts. That's a hard thing to realize as parents. I mean, we, uh, I hope we have access to their hearts and it's important that we have rules, but, but it's only the Holy Spirit who can change hearts. And they will have that moment where they realize um, that they've fallen so short of Jesus's standard and it, it does feel crushing at times. And we might want to rescue them from that feeling because we don't want them to feel um, bad about themselves. And, and we know how wonderful they are, but they do have to feel the weight of their sin at some point to even reach for a savior. So I would caution us against running into the rescue too quickly. But then when they skew to the other side where they do feel like, oh, I can't get it right. Um, one of our sons had a season where he just couldn't get it right. And that was so discouraging. And I would start to say to him, buddy, where does God throw your sins? And I taught him to say back to me to the bottom of the sea. And then I would always ask this question, does God own a wetsuit? Which of course God could own a wetsuit if he wanted to, but the idea is he doesn't dive down there and bring those things back up that comes straight from scripture. And so sometimes I think we can give them a word picture or a talk back or something to memorize to help them be grounded in the truth. But um, it's an ongoing thing. I can feel that tension myself in any given day. I can feel, Oh, I got this. I'm good enough. And then the next moment feel crushed under my own sin. Is it that just trying to wrestle with who we are and who God is? Um, And so again, I, I think I just leave space for, those kinds of questions and be a place where they can, they can wrestle out loud. Yeah, that's good. You know, I think we all need that reminder just every day that God's mercy is there for the asking. Um, Would one of you be willing to pray for those listening who just so much want to see their sons believe the truth of who God is and how God loves them today? Be happy to Lord, we come to you and we praise you and we thank you for creating our sons 
for creating them uh, uniquely and wonderfully. And uh, we, we, we love our children and we want what's best and right for them. I ask that you uh, help us to guide them in the right ways so that you are most glorified and honored through their lives. We ask that you capture their hearts, that they come to know you, and that they live their lives for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Before we um, kind of close for today, are there any other last messages or thoughts you'd have to leave with us um, as we parent our sons? Um, remember that you are a sinner in desperate need of grace, and so are they. It's a good place. That's to good. That, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, I know uh, there's going to be moms and dads listening today who are going to want to get a hold of a copy of Lies Boys Believe um, for their sons. So where's the best place to connect with you both online? Well, Lies Boys Believe is available at anywhere great books are sold, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, specifically at ReviverHearts.com is is probably the best place to pick up your copy moody publishers website has it amazon christian book distributors um you name it um it's it's out there yeah and uh we we appreciate you picking up a copy and uh we are hopeful and prayerful that it has a incredible impact on your life and the lives of your children and i have a teaching podcast called the deep well and it's already in your podcast app by some mystery that I don't understand. You could get it wherever you listen to podcasts, but we did a whole season on lies boys believe um, just for parents that we talk a lot more uh, about kind of the principles uh, that are in the parents guide. And so if you are wanting to learn more about this, or you feel like you have a lot more to learn about raising boys, that's probably where I'd send you the deep. Well, you mentioned it there at the end, but yeah, I just wanted to highlight the, uh, the parents guide. Cause I think that'd be really helpful to have as we talk through all of this today. Um, you know, if, if the boys can be reading the book and the parents have kind of some guided conversations and things that'd be helpful. Right. And we'll be sure yeah, to put exactly. all that good Sorry. stuff in our show notes too. So everyone can just click and find it right away. And we just are so thankful for you and everything that you were willing to share with us today. And I know that we're all just a lot more kind of emboldened and built up to, to just go back out there and keep raising our sons in the Lord. So thank you so much. Thanks thank for having you. Us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you friends for joining us today on the growing home together podcast. Uh, we'd love to connect with you on our website as well at growinghometogether.com. Um, you'll find all kinds of great resources there, um, including a book, power, powerful prayers for your son, uh, to help you pray for uh, your kids and uh, grow closer in your relationship with God and each other. Uh, we also have family conversation cards over there too, um, to uh, as you're trying to set up those rhythms of uh, dinner time and things like that. So uh, at Growing Home Together, we're caring for the soul of your family. And we're growing home together with you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Growing Home Together podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and found some valuable insights to help you care for the soul of your family. Remember to check out growinghometogether.com for more resources and stay tuned for our next episode coming your way soon. Mm-hmm.